appreciate all of you who have braved the cold today. Um, you know, let's talk about canceling church when the uh, weather gets bad. And I remember a few years ago we did that. And uh, it kind of turned out like today. Like once you get out on the roads, the roads were just fine. And uh, I, just, um, I just regretted that decision because it was kind of like, you know, why, why did we cancel? Like we're, we're here and every, it, it, was, it was fine. So I just, you know, as long as I can make it here and I got a key, whoever makes it here, we can, we can do that. So I'm thankful that God brought you here safe. Our, our numbers are smaller today, but that's okay. We'll have a, a good time in the, in the scriptures. You know, there are various portions of scriptures that have their own name. Like, for instance, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, is called the Ten Commandments. And uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, is called uh, the Shema. And uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, is called the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, How about uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13? The Lord's Prayer. How about uh, Matthew chapters 23 through 25? I'm sorry, 24 and 25. What is it? You had it. I heard it. Someone said, Olivet Discourse. Olivet Discourse. John 13 to 15 is the Upper Room Discourse. We come today to a text that has its, uh, its own name. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, and that is called the Magnificat. So having done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 and 45. It's on page 856 in your pew Bible. If you need help, 856, uh, we'll get you there. And uh, it is we're doing this, uh, this Christmas season. We're looking at the songs of Christmas. We're looking at the... The songs, particularly in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, that uh, are, are songs that are found in the Bible. And these are the songs of Zechariah. And today is Mary, Christmas Eve, our Christmas Eve service, Christmas Eve from 3 to 4 p.m. If you all can make that on December 24th, it would be a great time. We're going to look at the, the song of the angels. And um, then Simeon. We're going to look at Simeon in, um, in Luke chapter 2. Uh, proper term, uh, a name used for these are called canticles. Uh, our, our series could have been called Canticles of Christmas. A, a canticle is a, is, uh, is a song that's like a, it's like a psalm, but it's not properly in the psalms. And so these are often called the, the Canticles of Christmas. Uh, so we look at the songs of Zechariah, Mary, uh, the angels, and Simeon. want to read for us the Magnificat. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones 
and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. These are the words that, that Mary uttered shortly after meeting up with Elizabeth. But to catch the whole context of everything, I want to take us back to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Because this is where Mary enters the scene in Luke's story of the gospel. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, that is, in the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's not every day that an angel shows up on your doorstep. And Mary was filled with perplexity, as can only be uh, expected. She didn't know... That what this angelic visitation meant. I mean, all, all this angel said was, was greetings, O favored one. She's like, what, 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 what does that mean? And, and she's perplexed and troubled and, and confused. And she furthermore was filled with fear because we see what Gabriel said in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Anytime you encounter an angel, it's a a fearful thing. When an angel appeared to Zechariah, we looked at last week, Luke chapter 1, verse 12, he fear fell upon him. And Christmas Eve, we're going to see when the the angels appear to the shepherds in the fields, we're going to read that they are filled with great fear. And in all these cases, right, the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid because it is a fearful thing. To be in the presence of an angel, especially when it's unexpected, as this was. And they, the shepherds, like Zechariah, like Mary, were all afraid. And then the angel continues his explanation in verse 31 about his reason for his visit. He said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he'll be great, and we've called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if anything could be more fanciful than this, it's difficult to imagine. Mary's not married. She has never known a man sexually. She's not a woman of privilege or of noble birth. Rather, she was of humble circumstances, destined to be the wife of a carpenter, Not a king or a powerful politician who might be able to help her son rise into prominence. And yet she was told that she would bear a son. And she was told that this son would become a king. 
And this king would not be any king, but would be an eternal king of a kingdom that will never end. He will be the greatest king that ever lived, as his kingdom, verse 33 says, will continue forever. It's quite a, quite a statement. I mean, the, the birth itself is pretty difficult. And then you think about what was prophesied of this son is pretty difficult, to be the greatest king that has ever come. You know, it's, been, it's said in jest that every Jewish mother thinks that her, fir, her first son is God. Just the, the favor that Jewish women have upon their children. And, and any, any mom has a, a disposition of favor towards her first son. But in this case, the angel wasn't joking. The angel told these things to Mary. Yes, indeed, your son is God. He will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And Gabriel was in earnest. That's why he said that nothing will be impossible with God. And it's right at this moment that, that Mary's confronted really with a choice. Right? But what's she going to do? Is she going to embrace this in faith? Or is she going to reject it as a fairy tale? She could believe in the words that Gabriel brought, that with God nothing is impossible, or she could dismiss it. And how easy it would have been to dismiss. And yet, her response demonstrates that she had a faith in the God of the impossible. Verse 38 gives us Mary's words. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, Mary's a woman with tremendous faith who submitted her whole self to the plan of God. At this point, she didn't understand all of the implications of everything that was said about this angelic message. But her heart was one of entire submission. She just said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Be to me according to your word. In effect, she's saying, my life is the Lord's. I willingly give it to Him. And however He calls me to serve Him, that I will do. I, as willing servant, will follow. You know, in this time of our, of our nation when we have a president-elect as he gathers his cabinet, I've seen a few things where people are asked, are you going to be on that cabinet? They say, well, whatever the president asks of me, that's I will do. I will serve the president. And, and likewise, that's Mary's heart with God, far greater. Like, whatever God calls of me, that's what I will do, even if it means this, this difficult thing. Because... Believing God for these things is going to pave a way for difficulties. Difficulties would come in her life because she believed God in this. She would face the pain of false accusation from her husband-to-be, who was planning to put her away secretly for her supposed unfaithfulness, letting down her betrothed. She'd face the pain of false accusation from society at large, who, though she, Joseph believed her, the society didn't. And said even that Jesus was born of fornication, John eight forty one. As the mother of Jesus, her life would have been filled with difficulty. When she was presented in the temple to Simeon, which we will look at next week, Simeon said this Behold, Luke chapter one, verse thirty four, Luke two, verse thirty four, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. 
There's a sword, Mary, that's going to be pierced into your heart because of your son. And, and that certainly took place as Jesus himself was falsely accused. Hated by the Pharisees and Sadducees, though he himself did no wrong. And certainly she was pierced in her heart as she watched her son being placed upon a cross to die a painful and shameful death for sins that he never committed. It must have felt like a dagger into her heart. But she resolved in full faith that she was going to submit wholeheartedly to the Lord and His plans. And after receiving this angelic visitation, Mary head for the hills. I mean, literally, that's what, what she did. If you look at there at verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now she went there to visit her relative, her cousin Elizabeth, who probably lived in or around Jerusalem. Her husband Zechariah, I remember from last week, was a priest and so maybe was, was close by there near Jerusalem where the, the temple was. There are, there are hills just right side of, outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is sort of in the mountains in Psalm 125. Mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. And you come out of there, there are hills all over the place. It's where um, Mary headed. She headed from Nazareth, from the flatland, up into the hills to meet, to meet her there. And when you piece things together, it was only the angel that told her that Elizabeth was pregnant. I mean, she was barren for all these years, was, was now pregnant. It's exciting news, and somehow this news didn't get to Mary. I mean, they didn't have email or telephone in those days, and some the birth expectant announcement didn't get to her somehow. I mean, we do it. We, we do it differently, right? We let everybody know that there's going to be a, a child, but somehow she didn't know. But when she heard... And when she heard the angel visit her and there's a miraculous birth, she wanted to go and uh, commune and fellowship with the one of miraculous birth as well. And I could just only imagine the joy and excitement those three months that Mary and, jo- and uh, Elizabeth spent together. Two giddy pregnant women. Can you imagine that? Just talking and talking. You know, Zechariah, even if he could have talked, I'm not sure he would have been able to talk because of all the, the words that were spoken. Now, we don't know much about those those three months which they were together. But we do know some about the first moments of those three months, and that comes in verse 40. When she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's so much here to digest. Okay, but we're going to get to the Magnificat. But just, just think about this. The baby leaping in the womb. John the Baptist somehow there in the womb, stirred and inspired that he was going to be in the presence of God, in the presence of his Savior. Or Elizabeth blessing Mary and her child, right? Coming in instantly, the first thing is just, Mary, you are blessed and your child is blessed as well. And, and how is it that Elizabeth understood Mary's baby to be her Lord? Like, like how would she know that Mary was carrying, unless maybe an angelic, vision as well that she received or 
Or maybe this came about after Mary communicated what Gabriel did. We, we don't exactly know, but there's, there's lots there. But, but what I want to focus on is verse 45 because it leads rightly into the Magnificat. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken of by the Lord. Now, in some ways, this is Elizabeth, minor dig at her husband, right? If you remember from last week, this is a, this is a dig because when Zechariah was visited by the angel, he didn't believe. Luke 1, verse 20, and as a result, he was unable to speak. But Mary did believe, and she was able to speak, and she come, she came. It's really an acknowledgement of the type of woman that she was. She simply trusted the Lord for all things. And if Mary models anything for us this morning, it is her faith. She was a woman of faith, and all of us are called to be men and women of faith. We're called to, to believe in God. We're called to believe God. We're called to believe this Christmas season that indeed Mary would bear the Christ and that she did bear the Christ. And we're called to believe this Christmas season that this baby in the manger grew up to be Jesus of Nazareth, the one attested by many miracles and signs and with great teaching, and that he died on the cross as an atonement for our sins and that his sacrifice is sufficient for our sins. This is what we're called to believe in. That God really came, that as Phil read for us, He is Emmanuel. He is with us God. That He is God in the flesh. Now, for us, we have the tested Word of God. We can, we can read these stories in, in Matthew chapter 1 and, and Luke 1 and Luke 2 like we do every single year. Um, and we can read the Gospels and we can read the account of how it is that he lived. And, and we can read what God did in the book of Acts. And how the church grew and flourished, a sign of his power. And we can read in Paul's epistles how he explains Jesus. And, and we have no reason not to believe. But Mary just had this fleeting visitation from this angel. And um, was like, could that be believed? Like, was that even a dream? Was that, was that real? What? What was it? I, I was talking to someone at, at Armin and Amanda's wedding, and, and he, he talked to me about something that we did together. And I was like, I don't remember. And he said, yeah, yeah, this guy was there, and this guy was there. And I was like, I don't quite remember that. And he said, I think it happened. He said, well, maybe it's a dream. I'm not sure. But, uh, but he just, he, we didn't, I don't even know right now whether it was real or not. But he, somehow he had it that I, maybe some things got... You know, it's history. We just don't know. And that's all that Mary had. Mary had this appearance and didn't know about whether it was true or not, but she believed. And that's really the expression of her belief is the Magnificat. Then we can summarize her song here with three words, praise, humility, and mercy. And that's going to form my outline this morning. I want to, I want to begin with praise. That's what Mary does. She, she just praises the Lord, 46 and 47. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, these verses are, are great Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is finest. See, Hebrew poetry is not based on rhyme and meter. So it translates well. By God's grace, it translates good for us. But Hebrew poetry is, is mostly dependent upon parallelism. You say one thing and then you say something else which relates. And you might say it again you, know, you might say the opposite, which lends light on what you're saying before. You might expand upon it, cause it to grow. And in Hebrew poetry, when you have three things, it's like emphasized, like, hey, that's different. 
And it allows a great wonderful way to give a, a verbal picture of reality in a very picturesque way, which is really what poetry is about anyway. And that's what Mary does. In verses 46 and 47, she says the same thing. Parallel is what she speaks about. The subjects are essentially the same. Verse 46, the subject is my soul. In verse 47, the subject is my spirit. And you will miss the whole point if you try to figure out what's different between my soul and my spirit. It just speaks about her, her inner person. <clears throat> the, the all-encompassing sense that, that with her inner person, she was worshiping the Lord. As Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. She had been moved to the depth of her soul, to the depth of her spirit, to exalt in the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't just a surface praise. It was a, a deep-rooted, come-from-within-out sort of praise. The verbs are practical synonyms, though they, they emphasize a little different things. The 46, the verb is magnifies, and 47, it rejoices. Now, they aren't the same things. Uh, magnify means to, to make great, right? To, to see God as, as worthy, and that she, with her words, wants God even to be seen as more and more worthy. Magnificat, magnifies. That's where this word is coming from. And, and we know what this is about when we go to a fast food place, and you want to super value your, your meal with a super size for an extra dollar. You, you go there, and you get a Coke, and they say, oh, would you like to supersize that for a dollar? Or for your fries, you want to supersize that with a, an extra dollar. And, and here it is. Mary's just saying, my soul supersizes the Lord. Now, uh, obviously, it's not the sense that Mary actually made God bigger. Okay, I've heard John Piper before talk about it. It's not like, like Mary's looking at God through a microscope and so you can see him bigger. It's more God is, it, Mary's looking at him through a telescope. It's something that's really big that we see as small, but, but as we see it for what it really is, there it is, magnifying the Lord. And, and the second one speaks not only just how, how great supersized God is, but how much she enjoys the supersized burger, if she will. She rejoices Expressing her joy from, from depths of her spirit, a genuine joy of her heart, happiness in her soul. My spirit rejoices. It sings for praise. Psalm 95.1, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. That's what she was doing. And the objects of the verses are the same. The Lord, verse 46, and God my Savior, verse 47. And, and they, they speak about God, but in different ways. The, the Lord speaks of His ruling power. God, my Savior, speaks of His compassionate kindness. The Lord speaks of His transcendence and authority. And God, my Savior, speaks of His imminence and care. The Lord is seated high on the throne, lofty and exalted. And God, my Savior, down from that throne to help me in my distress. But indeed, speak of the same thing. She's magnifying the Lord. She's rejoicing in God, my Savior. And at this point with Savior, we need to reflect again that contrary to the beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church, Mary did sin and she does need a Savior to save her from her sin. The Roman Catholic Church teaches heresy that Mary was, was not conceived in sin. She had the miraculous conception. The, I'm sorry, the immaculate conception. It says that Mary was preserved from sin at her conception so as to bring Christ into the world without sin as well. What 
you got to just think the absurdity of that, that if you got to protect the purity of the womb that Christ would come through, well, what about Mary? How can it be that she was sinless from the, what, maybe her mother or her mother? It's got to go all the way back. It's got to start someplace. And it doesn't have to start with Mary. It started with Jesus, a perfect God-man in the womb. But the church nevertheless believes that. 1854, we declare, pronounce, and define that the most blessed Virgin Mary at the first instant of her conception was preserved immaculate from all stain of original sin by the singular grace and privilege of the omnipotent God in virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind, and that this doctrine was revealed by God and therefore must be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. Well, that's the wind of men. Mary herself said, I'm rejoicing in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior like all of us do. And the fact that God was her Savior led her to, to praise. And really, that's what God calls us to do. As we realize that, that God is our Savior. If you're believing and trusting in Christ, He's redeemed you from your sin. You've got to respond in praise. A few weeks ago, when we were in, in, a, in our Thanksgiving service, we, we worked through Psalm 107. Which begins, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here it is. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. The idea there is that, that we who have been redeemed, let us give thanks to the Lord. And as Mary knew God, my Savior, she was giving thanks and praising the Lord. And so I ask you, does your heart bubble over like Mary's? Do you have a joyful countenance that wants to ascribe honor and glory to the King? Does your praise come from the fruit of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Do you lift up His name at church, in the home, in your life, wherever you go? Or do you complain? Are you grumpy? Unthankful? The call of Scripture says, sing for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones. Psalm 33, verse 1. See, praise is the natural thing for a redeemed soul to do. And that's what Mary is even modeling here. Though she hasn't fully experienced all her redemption, she knows that God is her Savior. That's why she has trusted Him. Well, let's move on from praise to humility. Because of anything that comes out of the Magnificat, it is humility. Mary's humility. She was a humble woman, and she praised God because, verse 48 says, that he has looked on the humble state of his servant. Now, Gabriel said that you have found favor with the Lord, emphasizing that, that Mary, you have found favor, and yet she said, I'm a, I'm a servant of the Lord, and he's looked on my humble estate, and it's my humble estate, if anything, that found favor before God. We don't know anything about Mary's character except what's really revealed here. She regarded herself as this humble servant. And I believe that humility is really the single most identifying mark of a Christian. One, um, uh, one who's humble and one who sees God who He is really can't help but, but to be humble and praise God. And the humble one never comes before the Lord with an attitude of arrogance, as if you deserve anything or look at your accomplishments. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about Luke 18 and the, the proud Pharisee. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm like this. No, the humble person doesn't thank God about how great I am. Christians are to boast in the Lord, not themselves. 
Because the Bible says God has opposed the proud, gives grace to the humble. And the one who's, who's, who's proud lifts himself up and, and thinks of himself more highly than he ought to think. But Mary didn't think more highly of herself than she ought to think. In fact, she thought of herself humbly. And, and this theme of humility goes all the way through the Magnificat. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. This is God. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. A good illustration of this, though many could be chosen from the Bible, is Sennacherib, king of Assyria. He came to the armies of Israel, and so he sent his his henchman, Rabshakeh, to cry out to Israel, demanding that they desert King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was saying, trust the Lord, he'll deliver us. And Sennacherib's like, no, who has escaped my hands? Listen to what Rabshakeh told the people of Israel. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand, the land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? In other words, when I, when I go, I win. I always conquer. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Like These are just other nations that, I'm not sure where they, I don't know where they are, but other nations that have lost. He said, look, I've conquered these people, I've conquered these people, I've conquered these people. Who among all the gods of a land had delivered their lands out of my hand? The Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. There's the proud. Sennacherib. You remember what happened? Hezekiah prayed humbly to the Lord God for deliverance. And God looked upon Hezekiah. The Lord went through the camp of the Assyrians at night, killed 185,000 of them in one night, and they scattered. The army turned around and went home. 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 52, again, God exalts the lowly, puts down the pride. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I think of Nebuchadnezzar. He was brought down from his throne. He's the one that boasted of Babylon, looking out on the city of Babylon. Is this not Babylon the great? which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty. And you remember what happened to him, right? God struck him down. And he was like a a beast in the field. Sovereignty was removed from him and he dwelled with the beasts until he recognized that God is the sovereign over mankind and he does whatever he wills. On the other hand, there's Joseph. Joseph who was humbled greatly by God in prison, yet God exalted him to be vice ruler in Egypt. That is what 52 speaks about. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of state. Same thought comes in verse 53. This is just real general. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Just God delights in the humble. When the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness, he fed them. When Ruth and Naomi were hungry, God satisfied them with a gleaning of Boaz's field. When Elijah was hungry, God instructed the ravens to bring him meat and bread and filled the brook Kareth with water. God provided food for the widow of Zarephath. And she never emptied the jar of oil that, that never stopped filling until all the containers were full. God, God just provides. And, and so you think about that in contrast to Solomon. Though, though he was the rich... What happened? He left this life in emptiness and despair. You can just read, vanity of vanities. It's smoke, it's wind, it's nothing. But God satisfies the poor and the needy. 
And we just scratched the surface of the truth of Luke 14, 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. You see it over and over again in the Bible. And you see it even in the Christmas story. It's all over the Christmas story, right? We, we've seen examples of, we see examples of God exalting the lowly. Consider when uh, Jesus is born. Who's told of his arrival? It's not the kings of standing in great places. Shepherds. I mean, the shepherds are the higher workers. The hired workers who are working in the night shift, taking care of the sheep for the owners, probably, perhaps, or whatever. Looking out there, there's nothing really special about these people. Dirty riffraff of society, the migrant farm workers of our culture, and God chose to announce the arrival of the Messiah to these lowly men. See, when a baby's born in our house, we send out a special announcement to all who are important in our lives. And when God sent out His baby announcement, His angelic announcement, He sent it to the lowly shepherds. See, God looks to the humble. And next week, we will, Christmas Eve, we'll think about that, talk about that more. We'll, on Christmas Day, we'll think about the, the humble priest Simeon and the humble servant Anna, who was in the temple for decades, night and day, serving the Lord. This humble little woman, probably. And Mary was humble. But you might look at some of what she says and say, oh no, she, how can she be humble if she says that? Well, look at the second half of verse 48. Behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. Well, you gotta, you got to balance that by what she said in verse 48. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant to bless her. She's not taking any credit for herself, though she is acknowledging the reality. Right? It's, it's not wrong to acknowledge the reality of the angelic vision. And what she's saying is basically, I'm affirming everything that God has told me. But the big clip is the first word in verse 49. All generations will call me blessed, 49, because for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. That verse changes everything. Yes. Mary will be blessed. We call her blessed today, 2,000 years later. But Mary knew why she was blessed. She was blessed because the Lord did it. And she was quick to bring Him praise again and not take the honor to Himself. For He was mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. That's how you balance greatness with humility. That's how you, you balance blessing with humility. Is you express reality, but you express the fact that God has, has given it. And you say, it's not me who's done it. It's all, it's all been God. And humility will always give the reason to God. Because God is the one who, who blesses and we must praise Him. Holy is His name. All right, finally, mercy. It's my, my final point. It's the final thrust of, of Mary's psalm. Verses 50 through 55. And it, it is about God exalting the lowly and suppressing the proud, but really that's done from an underlying reason of mercy. In fact, verse 50 begins with mercy. 54 has mercy as well. Verse 50, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Everything really between 50 and 55 are all mercy. 
They're all, they're all, all mercy. It's mercy towards those who fear Him. Verse 55. Jew and Gentile alike, as we know and understand. Verse 54, right? Mercy to Israel. He has helped His servant Israel. So why did God scatter Sennacherib and the Assyrians? Because they were touching the apple of His eye. They were touching Israel. So he scattered them. Why did God bring Nebuchadnezzar down from his lofty throne in Babylon? He was proud, not of humble estate, but he also was about persecuting the people of God, throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace because they didn't worship him and his image. So why does God show mercy? He shows mercy because he's faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to Israel. He's faithful to his people. And, and it comes down here in verse 54 about really what Christmas is about. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You know, that is what Christmas is all about. It's all about God remembering his mercy to Israel. In fact, just as we close, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 1. What Phil read for us today, because this is the the perfect time to, to bring this in. But God remembering His mercy to, to Israel. You've got through Matthew 1 several times, but Phil read this story. We don't need to, to read it again. But, but look at verse 22. All this about Mary and Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I mean, there it is, right? What God had spoken by the prophet of old, God was going to be faithful to His covenant to bring it to pass. And you say, what, what is it? Well, there's this sign of this virgin that's going to conceive and bear a son, and they're going to call his name Emmanuel. And, and see, God had promised long ago of this sign, and this sign is now coming to pass. And Emmanuel, right, right there, means that God is with us. See, when, when, when Jesus came in the flesh, it was a fulfillment of God's mercy to Israel which he promised to the nations that Emmanuel would come. And also, if you look back at verse 21, you say, well, why, 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 why did he come? He had two names given here in this passage. One is Emmanuel. And verse 21 says his name is Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And if you know what Jesus means, it's Joshua. Joshua. Joshua is the Savior. You might say like this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name the Savior, Jesus. For he will, Jesus, his people from their sins. He will, Joshua, he will save them from their sins. And and Israel was a sinful nation, and they needed a Savior to come. In fact, one of the things you read about when you read through the Bible is you see and understand that that the Bible is not about good people doing good things and being rewarded by God. The Bible, in fact, is about bad people doing bad things, and yet God's still showing His mercy to the people of Israel because He is faithful to His promise. And so as we think this Christmas season, just uh, about what it was about, it's really about God fulfilling His promise of being merciful to us. And that's what Mary brings out. as She just praises God expresses humility and really realizes, God, that we, we are nothing in ourselves. It's only because you and because of your mercy that has brought Jesus to us. And this Christmas season, I just trust you'll see that. It's, it's God's mercy that brings Jesus to us. We, he came to us before we cried out to him. 
And he's the one that initiated. He's the one that came uh, through Mary. And he's the one then that brought us salvation. We, it's not like innocent bystanders. We're just watching. And he simply calls us to believe. That's what I'm calling you to believe, to do this Christmas season. Just believe and trust in Christ. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, would pray that we would even think, reflect upon Mary the Magnificat. And what it means, God, to emulate her. She's very worthy of being emulated. Follow her as she follows the Lord, that she was a woman of praise. She's a woman of deep humility. She was a woman who acknowledged, God, that all she had was from your mercy. God, and really that's what we can say as well, God, is that all we have is by your mercy. And all we have is all of grace. And that is Mary's message, realizing that she was pregnant, not of her own doing, but from the Holy Spirit who came upon her. And we, O oh God, are saved, not of our own doing, but simply because we believe and trust in Christ. So strengthen our faith, God, this Christmas season. Direct our hearts to you, not to the things of the world and to the things that would distract us so much. God, but may we be true worshipers of you. I think especially this next week as we just think much about the coming of Jesus. I pray for the parents and the fathers to lead their families in this. God, perhaps reading the scriptures each night or some devotional directing our attention to the Lord. God, help us to be found like Mary, right? believing entirely in the promises you've given to us. We thank you, O Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.